I was just having a conversation uh, with Tom before service, and and he asked how I was doing, and I said, I'm swell. And he said, swell? That's interesting. That's like from the 1950s. And uh, I said, that's true. I don't know where I got this from, but my wife will tell you, I've been saying swell for since I was a teenager. I've just, I don't know where I picked it up, but it's a great conversation starter. Like if you're in the grocery line and someone asks you, you know, how are you doing? And I'll say, I'm, I'm swell. And, and they're like, swell. Interesting. <laughs> and so it always starts a great conversation. So why not start a message with swell? Are you, I'm swell. How are you guys doing? Oh, that's awesome. That's wonderful. That's great. Well, a few years back, uh, our kids were quite a, quite a bit younger. Jocelyn uh, and the twins, I believe, were in kindergarten. Destiny was in first grade. I think this is when this happened. You, you know better than me. Um, but maybe it was preschool. I don't know. But anyways, we were, um, we were working with Jocelyn in school, and, and she was kind of struggling a little bit, having a hard time. And, uh, and we were working with, like, reading and starting that process, and she was just really struggling, like really having a hard time. We didn't know if it was, uh, you know, she was dyslexic or something. And so, but we were working with her for, for months. And then we, we were taking a trip in the car and driving through kind of the country. And we saw this herd of deer out there. Beautiful. There was big bucks and, and it was a lot of them. And so we told the kids, we did the classic parent thing. Hey, kids, look, deer, you know. And so all the kids are like, whoa, and they're looking at them and stuff and and we look back, and Jocelyn is back there, and she's saying, where? Where? And she's looking out the exact same window that the other kids are. And then we realize, just with this sinking feeling in our heart, oh, she can't see them. She can't see. And then it just dawns on us all of a sudden. That's why she was having such a hard time with reading and with all these different things. She couldn't see the words on the page. So it was one of those huge parent fail like moments where you're like, what am I doing? Oh, I'm so dumb. How did I not notice this? For years, we never noticed that she couldn't, she, she needed uh, glasses. So anyways, we took her to the eye doctor. And sure enough, she needs glasses. And, uh, and so we, the day comes where she gets her glasses and she puts them on for the first time. And it was like a whole new world, a whole new world. You know? And so she, she was looking around and like, wow. And so two different feelings in my heart at the same time. One is I am a complete and utter failure as a parent. She has missed out on so much of life because we didn't notice this earlier. But at the same time, there was that joy of like, she can see the world. That's so cool. And it's beautiful and all of its colors and the things around her. And so, uh, and I believe it's similar in our walk with Jesus. When we accept Christ and we come into a relationship with Jesus, our spiritual eyes are opened for the first time. And we truly see the world 
as it is, right? We become a new creation in Christ. Old things pass away. All things become new. And so we begin to see the world the way God sees the world. And so things that we didn't understand before, we start to understand. The word of God, when we read it, comes alive to us. How many of you guys have experienced that? Where the word just, just comes alive in your heart when you come to know Jesus. Or maybe you're in worship and for the first time you're, you feel the presence of God. Or you feel the love of God filling up your heart. And so you're, you're suddenly awakened and you're able to see the world as God does. And I believe when we do that, when we look at the world through a heavenly perspective, it's like putting on those glasses like Jocelyn for the first time. There's things that we see and experience, the fullness of life and godliness, fully alive to everything that God wants us to be alive to. And then over time, we also die to the things that we should be dead to, right? Alive, to, dead to sin and alive to God. And so it's a process but we become more and more like Jesus in the way we see the world. So the title of my message this morning is Heavenly Perspective. Heavenly Perspective. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will speak this morning. Lord, that our hearts will be open to you. Lord, I pray that it will not be my words. Lord, it will be your words, Father. And I pray that the word of God will be a seed planted in our hearts and it will bear fruit that remains by your grace, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're continuing in our series this morning, Axis, Jesus at the Center. We're meant to have our lives orient around God at the central place. A relationship with him, a living relationship with a living God is the centerpiece of our lives. Solitude right there in the center. Outside of that, our community. And then ministry. Fully known and fully loved by God. Fully known and fully loved in authentic relationships. And then the courage to love the world. So we've been focusing on Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 30. The greatest commandment in the Bible, God says... Or Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength. And last week, we talked about loving God with all of our mind, right? Meditating on the word of God and keeping our mind in a clean air environment, setting our mind on Christ's sufficiency so that we, don't, we, we aren't susceptible to the lie of the enemy that God is not enough. So we talked about loving God with all of our heart, loving God with all our mind. This week, we're going to dive into loving God with all of our soul. Now, the word soul is like the word heart. It has a lot of different meanings in Scripture, multiple meanings and usages in the Scripture. Uh, we're going to look at the word psyche in the Greek. And this is what it means in Mark chapter 12. The immaterial part of a person which is the actuating cause of an individual life. The sight of all the psychological faculties, such as the heart, mind, and conscience. So we've talked about loving God with all of our heart, talked about loving God with our mind, and it says here, the conscience, or the place where we discern right and wrong. The, the place that we view the world from, how we discern the world around us, how we see the world around us, how we define 
the world, how we define ourselves, how we define relationship, the core of who we are, our soul, the core being of who we are from which we see the world. Uh, the world might call this a worldview. So the definition of a worldview is this, a collection of attitudes, values, stories, and expectations about the world around us, which inform our every thought and action. So a worldview informs our thoughts and actions. Last week we talked about how everything starts in the mind, right? Everything starts here. Well, a worldview informs the way we think, the way we see things, the, what does, how we choose our values and what we're building our life upon at the core of who we are. Uh, I got a little image for you guys that kind of illustrates this. There it is. Um, and so you could actually add another circle on the outside of this, which would be like our words. But on the outside, we have our behaviors, what is done, the things that we do, our actions, how we live our life, correct? And that is informed by our values, what is good. So we dis discern what are our core values, what's really meaningful in my life, and our behaviors come from that. And a lot of times we can even have unconscious values like that we're not even conscious of, but our actions and our behaviors let us know that that thing is a value. Like for instance, I didn't know for many years that I had this unconscious value for fun, like that I needed to have fun. Fun is important to me, but it was not something I was consciously thinking about like, okay, I need to put in fun today. You know, it was just something that was important. And then over time, I looked at my behavior and realized, oh, that's a value for me. Because I'm like, okay, I want to get everything done so then I can have fun. <laughs> so it was a value. Uh, but our values are informed by our beliefs. What is true? What is true? But then at the core, who we are is our worldview, and that is answering the question, what is real? What is real to me? And what's amazing about that is we can have a belief, something that we believe to be true, but our worldview can differ from that because we believe something else is actually real. For instance, we can make a mental agreement with something and say, yeah, I believe this is true. Um, we talked about it before, like, that God loves me. I believe in my mind. I agree with that 100%. Yes, that is true. But in a moment, in any given moment, that might not be real to us. You see the difference? There's a difference between what is real and then our behavior and our values come out of what is real to us, even more than what might be true in our minds. Because it's not just up here. It's not just a mental agreement. It's how we view the world. That is our reality. So I know this is a little heavy, a little heady, but it's at the very, very center of who we are is how we define the world around us. And you could say that that is our inmost being or our soul. So how do we love God with our soul? How do we do that? Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 37 says, Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But 
Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Another translation says, will find true life. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. Deny yourself, your definitions of who you are, of what's valuable in the world, your definitions of relationship and work and the value of money or the value of a calling or whatever, that you need to deny your view of the world and then follow me. Take on my view, how I define the world. Because truth is God's perception of reality. So what he sees is real, that's what's true. So if we disagree with that, then we're believing a lie, right? Because he knows what is true. So our hearts and our worldview needs to align with his. And he says, when you lose your life, when you give up and deny yourself, and you lose your life for my sake, that's when you find life. The real life, true life. Our version of life, identity, purpose, meaning, people, God, when we trans, when we give that to the Lord and we take on his, we find true life. So loving God with our soul, you could say, and there's probably many different things to this, but one of the ways we love God with our soul is exchanging our worldview for his. The way we view the world for the way God views the world, which is truth, right? He views the world in truth. And so it's exchanging that. And in that exchange, we find life, which is awesome. Because remember, the person that we're exchanging with, he's that loving father in the story of the prodigal son that runs to us and embraces us and loves us perfectly so we can trust him. He's the one who died on the cross and gave his own life and suffered so that we might have life. So he's worthy of our trust. So we exchange our worldview for his. So then, what is God's worldview? How does God see the world? Now, that's a huge question. And it would take the entire Bible and our entire lifetime, and we still wouldn't understand everything about how God sees the world. But we're going to take a little, tiny, little bitty glimpse into God's worldview. So first off, we need to ask a few questions. We're asking the way God views the world. These are essential questions. Number one, who is God? How does God reveal himself? Right, what does he say about himself? Who are we in relationship to God? And then what is our created purpose? So who is God? Who are we? And what is our created purpose? Well, one of the first things we see in scripture is God is a father. He's a heavenly father. He identifies himself as the father. Jesus, when he identified with God, called him the father. When Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's prayer, he says, our, pray this way, our father who art in heaven. And so God identifies himself as a father, a loving father at that, a good, good father, if you want to throw that in there. And then we are his children. We're his kids. We're his sons and daughters. John 1.12 says that he gives them the right, everyone who believes in his son, he gave them the right to be children of God. 
Right in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that Jesus has adopted us into his family according to his good pleasure. So God is a heavenly father, a loving father, and we are his children, and we were meant or made for loving relationship, where we give and receive love between us and our heavenly father. So God is a father, we are his children, we're made for loving relationship. We also see that God is the creator, right? Created the world. Every single thing that we see, all the beautiful systems in the world from the atom to the galaxies and the universe. And there's that new telescope that they just released and there's new images of like deep, deep space. And the more and more we see, the more and more beautiful it is. And the more and more we see God's glory, don't we? Right? Everywhere. Just it's so vast, beautiful. He is the creator. And then we are image bearers of God. He made us and created us, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, in his image and likeness. So we as, as believers, as, as, as human beings, are made in the image of God. And so when we see the world through his eyes, when we see a person, we're seeing a glimpse of who God is. It's like a diamond. It's like a facet in the diamond, just each individual person, there's the image of God in them. There's something of the Lord in each individual person, and that makes them this incredibly valuable treasure because they bear God's image. So he is a creator. We are his image bearers, and we were made for worship. We're made to see all that he has made, including us, and then respond with this incredible gratitude and thankfulness, right? We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knit us together in our mother's womb. So he is our creator. We are his image bearers. We're made for worship. Then he is king. He's the king. He reigns over his kingdom, and we are citizens of that kingdom. And the Bible even goes as far as saying we are ambassadors for the kingdom of God. We are representatives of his kingdom. We represent Jesus to the world. We represent God's kingdom, his principles, his way of life to this world. We are ambassadors, representatives of that heavenly kingdom, and he is our king. And we were made to honor and to obey our king, Jesus. And then number four, God is spirit. The Bible says that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, and we are spiritual beings. And we are created for union with God, connection with him. John chapter 17, Jesus said that, Lord, my desires, these, these might be one with me as I am one with you. That we are united together in union and living relationship. And so God is spirit and we are spiritual beings. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 16 through 19 says, I pray for you constantly asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. 
So God is a loving heavenly father. God is the creator and sustainer of all the world and all life. He fills everything everywhere with himself. God is the king over heavenly kingdom and God is spirit and we are his children, his beloved sons and daughters. We are image bearers of God. We are ambassadors of a heavenly kingdom and we are spiritual beings. We're made for loving relationship with God. We're made for worship. We're made to honor and obey him and bring his kingdom to earth and help establish his kingdom here on the earth. And we are made for connection and union with God. So that's a glimpse, just a little bitty glimpse into the way God sees the world. He defines us this way. So we know God's worldview. We've heard it preached in scripture. We've heard it in church. But there are still things that obstruct our view. There are, there are things that, that get in the way from us seeing the world the way he sees it. There's different lenses that the enemy wants to, us to put on and to view the world through a filter that distorts and, and makes obscure God's original intent. But God wants us to remove those lenses and to see things the way he does in truth. So the question is, what are those lenses? I want to talk about three different lenses that we, that the enemy wants us to put on that we have to fight and be intentional to remove so that we might see the world the way God does. Number one, the lens of the flesh. The lens of the flesh, this physical body, the, this, like if someone said it this way, it sounds terrible. Like meat sack, like doesn't that? That's so gross. (laughs) I don't don't even know what that. That's just nasty. But yeah, we're we're in this tent, this temporary dwelling place. We are spirits, right? We have a soul. We live in a body, right? And so, this flesh, the cravings of this physical body, and the sinful nature that we've inherited because of Adam, that, that all of this stuff. There's a craving there. There's a lens of the flesh that we can view the world through. But God's intent is for us to live according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life has made me free from the law of sin and death. Jesus said that everyone who sins is a slave of sin. But when we come to know Christ, whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. That's right. He set us free from the power of the flesh in our life so we don't have to answer to the flesh and to its cravings any longer because there's someone more powerful in us. The Spirit of God dwells within us and we can submit our hearts and our lives to him by the grace of Jesus and we don't have to listen to those cravings of the sinful nature. We don't have to listen to the cravings of the flesh. It's a good thing no one is sitting in the front row right now because they would be sprayed. I'm, I'm like seeing it come out of my mouth. <laughs> it's like, wow, that, I need to hold it. All right. Man, this is the splash zone. Okay. That's what, that's what, that's why no one sits in the front. Okay. <laughs> All right. Back, 
back to the word. Okay, so Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It says those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with all of its passions and desires. We have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? And now I live by faith in the Son of God who gave us himself up for me. So we don't live according to the flesh anymore. When we accepted Jesus, we crucified the flesh with all of its passions and desires. And now we are alive to God. Romans says, consider yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God. Consider yourself to be dead to sin. Consider yourself that you are a new creation that you have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that he has made you blameless before him in love, receiving our new man and saying, that's old me. Those cravings, that sinful name, all that stuff, that's not me. That's not me anymore. I've been made a new creation. So I don't live that way anymore. I don't even desire those things anymore. And sometimes we have to align with what God sees in us because we might not see it in ourselves. We might see, oh, no, I'm still... I'm this, I'm struggling or whatever. No, God sees us as the righteousness of God in Christ, but we have to agree with what he sees. We have to believe the truth of who we are as God has revealed to us who we are. So consider yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God. And he says, how do we, and then he says to uh, live by the Spirit and let us keep in step with the Spirit. So how do we keep in step with the Spirit? How do we live according to the Spirit rather than the flesh? We have to listen, intentionally listen to what the Spirit of God is saying rather than what the flesh is saying. What is God saying about who he is? We need to listen to that. Because the enemy will say, God is so disappointed in you. And you are a failure. You're this. He doesn't even love you anymore. So we have to listen. That's the flesh. We got to listen to what the Spirit of God is saying about Himself. I love you. I've chosen you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I have to listen to what God says about Himself. He, I'm a loving Father. I have to listen to what the Spirit of God is saying about me. That I am His son. That I am an image bearer of God that I am an ambassador of a heavenly kingdom. I have to listen to what the Spirit of God is saying about me. I have to listen to what the Spirit of God is saying about my created purpose, why I am here. So we listen, intentionally listen to the Spirit rather than listening to the lies of the flesh. And then we can look in the mirror and we can see ourselves through the lens of God's spirit rather than the lens of the flesh. We can see ourselves and say, that right there is a child of God. That is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am this. I am blameless before him in love. I am, I am his son. I am his daughter. I am all these things. And we can say that. We can see ourselves the way he sees us. And it changes the way we live. Because right believing leads to right living. We believe what's right and what's true, then we live that out, and that becomes our new worldview, our new reality. So we take off the lens of the flesh. Number two, the lens of religion. 
or legalism or performance. Use a lot of different words here. We take off the veil of pride, performance, and shame. Pride, performance, and shame. We take off the the veil of religious dogmatism. We take off the veil of self-justification, self-sufficiency, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness keeps us from seeing Jesus. Jesus openly rebuked the Pharisees and the scribes because they were self-righteous. And he said, you guys are hypocrites, brood of vipers. You are, you are whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones on the inside, but beautiful on the outside. I mean, Jesus was brutal. I mean, he, he spoke to them because they were trying to weigh everyone down and tell them, no, justify yourselves by your own works rather than through the grace of Jesus. And so he, he was rebuking them openly so that the people could see, no, they're blind leaders of the blind. Self-righteousness kept them from seeing Jesus, the Son of God. They were waiting for the Messiah all these years, and they couldn't even see him. He was right in front of their faces because they couldn't see him. Why? Because their eyes were on themselves. They were looking at themselves. How do I need, I need, I need to do this? I need to do that. They're constantly measuring. Do I measure up? Do I measure up? Yes, measure, measure. Yes, yes. Do I measure up? Do I measure up? Constantly. Performance. Shame. Polluted their hearts, keeps our hearts from being pure. The Bible says that the pure in heart shall see God. Tim Keller said this legalism is the thought that God's love for us is conditioned on something we can be or do. It is the attitude that I offer certain things my ethical goodness, my relative avoidance of deliberate sin, my faithfulness to the Bible and the church that support Christ's work. And contribute to God's goodwill toward me. A legalistic spirit leads to being ungenerous, harsh, overly sensitive to criticism, deeply insecure, and jealous of others. Because our sense of personal identity and worth has become entwined with performance and its recognition. Rather than being rooted and grounded in Christ and his unmerited grace. We can't see Jesus. I have struggled with this in my life. My, my whole walk with Jesus, I've struggled with this lens of performance. Like to the point, it was so bad, I would set these unreasonable expectations on myself. Unrealistic. God never told me to set them. I set them on myself and just said that God did it. I'm like, I need to get up at 4 a.m. I need to read, I need to pray three hours and I need to read the whole Bible every three months. And I mean, I'm, I'm serious. I'm actually, it was insane. And so you're like, you were nuts. I know. So it was intense. I was like setting these unrealistic, unreasonable goals. And so it was so bad. It came to the point where the first words out of my mouth every morning when I woke up was, I'm sorry, God. As soon as I woke up, I'm sorry, God. Should have got up earlier. Sorry, God, I didn't, didn't do this. Sorry, God. Sorry, sorry. And then finally, God broke through, <laughs> got my attention in his lovingly corrective way, and he said, stop saying I'm sorry. 
said, instead, when you want to say I'm sorry, he said, say thank you. Instead of saying I'm sorry, say thank you. What? what? I'm sorry. I did that. I'm not. I'm not measuring. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Where is my attention? It's on him. And then that, thank you, thank you, gratitude, worship, looking up, seeing him, changes my behavior. And I become more and more like him. I'm sorry. No, thank you. That doesn't mean that we don't repent, of course. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. That's, that's good. So that's good. But when we set unreasonable and unrealistic expectations on ourselves, what happens is we wake up one day, we feel far from God, and we wake up and realize we have a personal, intimate relationship with the list of rules rather than the person of Jesus Christ. I have a personal, intimate relationship with this measuring rod. We're very close. I love my rod. Instead of Jesus... 2 Corinthians 3, 14 through 18, but their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I want to read that again, verse 18. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, look in and stare into his glory and his grace and his love for us, who God says he is, who God says we are, our created purpose, the, the way of viewing the world, when we're looking into that, his glory and being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This legalistic and religious and performance mindset keeps a veil over our spiritual eyes so that we can't see Jesus. And what happens is, you might have heard this saying before, you become what you behold. You guys ever heard that before? You become what you behold. If you're looking at something enough over and over and over again, you, you become that thing right? If all I'm looking at is a measuring rod, do I measure up? Do I measure up? Do I measure up? Do I measure up? Then I become a measuring rod and I become that to other people. Do they measure up? Hmm. Nah, don't measure up. You don't measure up. You don't measure up. You know, we become that because that's all we're looking at. But if we're looking in to grace, we're looking into Jesus who is full of grace and truth then we become that grace and truth to the world around us. And people can taste and see that the Lord is actually good. Man, Jesus is awesome. I like him. All right. So we take off the lens of the flesh, take off the lens of religion or performance. And number three, the lens of the temporal the temporal, we, God's called us to live life with an eternal perspective, to see things through the lens of eternity, not just this present 
world. We need to be mindful of the impermanence of our life. It's, it's short. Life is short, very short. James 4.14, why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Psalms 90.12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This world is not our home. It's not our home. We don't have to put down roots here. We're just passing through. We're sojourners. We're just passing on through till we get to the kingdom. That is our home. We don't have to adopt the values of our culture and all those things. We don't have to do that because we live and we are citizens of a different kingdom. Hebrews 11, talking about the hall of faith, right? All the amazing men and women of faith throughout the years. In Hebrews chapter 11, it culminates with verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Verse 16, instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Philippians 3, 19 and 20, their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus eagerly await. It says that they longed for a better country, a heavenly one. There was a song by Rich Mullins um, back in the day, uh, if I stand, I think, if I stand, let me stand on the promise. You will pull me through. Anyone? No? Okay. No. All right. <laughs> You're like, yes. No. Yes. So anyways, the last line of that song, though, is he says, and if I weep, let it be as a man who is longing for his home. I'm longing to be with Jesus. I was made to be with him longing for that. It doesn't mean that we shun everyone in the world. That's not what Jesus did. He loved them. He was present to them. He cared for them. But it means that we don't have to adopt everything here. Just passing through. We choose kingdom over culture. We choose kingdom over culture. Some of the cultural values, power, influence, wealth, knowledge, stability. Listen, it's good to be wise <laughs> and to be stable and to be knowledgeable. That's good. That's, that's not a bad thing, right? And it's okay to have influence. It's okay to have wealth. That's fine. It's okay. But when that becomes the values that we build our life on, and we're clinging to those values, the reason why typically we do that is for a sense of control so that we don't have to be afraid, Right? If I have stability and wealth and influence, then, then I don't have to be, I don't have to worry. I don't have to have anxiety. I don't. If we're looking for those things to remove fear, it's not going to work. There's only one thing that casts out fear, and that's perfect love. So we don't have to cling to those values. 
We don't have to hold on to them. We have to cling to heavenly values, eternal values. So what are those? What are eternal values? Uh, there's two things that I see. That, I mean, there's plenty, I'm sure. There's two things for sure that I know are eternal values in the kingdom of God. Number one, meaning they, have, they will have value forever in eternity. Number one, our relationship with Jesus. That has eternal value. It will always be. We will continue to be in relationship with him forever. So it has eternal value. And then people, they're eternal beings. They have eternal value. And then what do you know? That's the great commandment. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Relationship with God and people. Eternal value. And then we build our values on that relationship with Jesus and in loving people. And not just loving people, but pointing people to Jesus. And our life is built on those values, and then our behaviors flow out of that, our words flow out of that. But it's built on God's worldview. We see the world the way Jesus does. So uh, I'm going to close with this. We take off the lens of the flesh. By the grace of God, take off the lens of religion, performance. We take off that lens of the temporal and then we see through, so if you think about it, the opposite. We see through the lens of the Spirit of God, of the grace of God, and through an eternal perspective. The Spirit of God, the grace of God, and eternal perspective. And then, it's just like Jocelyn putting those glasses on. Whoa. We're made to see the world that way. We love God with all of our soul, exchanging our worldview for his and his grace. Amen? Would you stand with me? So as we close, just right where you are, just bow your heads, close your eyes where you are. I just encourage you, ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, which lens are you highlighting? Is there something particularly that you're asking me to take off? Is it the lens of the flesh? Is it performance? Is it the temporal, cultural values? Whatever it is, just ask the Holy Spirit, God, what are you saying to me? And you know what? God might not be saying anything about that. He might be saying something totally different. That's fine. God, what are you telling me right now through this message, through this time? What are you saying to me? hear from the Lord and as we respond in worship I just encourage you to engage with the spirit of God in you say alright Holy Spirit I surrender this lens I surrender this thing to you in this moment Jesus will you give me the grace needed that I might see you and see the world the way you see it let's respond in worship
grace which which is sufficient for us that your strength is made perfect in our weakness God so that we may see you in all your glory behold you Lord we love you Lord I just pray a blessing over all of my friends here today brothers and sisters in Christ God bless them as they go into their weeks Jesus Lord God give them grace Lord God I pray that you will encounter them daily they will see you in all your glory every single day, feel your presence with them, and encounter your truth. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys. Love you guys. And uh, we will see you next week.